Okay, open your Bibles to Mark chapter 7. We're going to look at verses 14 through 23. Uh, Those of you that were in the first service last week, you missed a good sermon. So those of you that were here in the second service, you're fine. So if you were in the first service, go to the website, get caught up on that passage. Uh, What happened last week uh, to me, those of you who don't know, been asking about it, it's happened three times so far. Uh, The first happened four years ago when I was on a summer run in the middle of a hot day after two days at Schlitterbahn of sun and fun and had to be taken to the ER, and they told me I was severely dehydrated. Um, The second time was last year at a wedding in the middle of the summer. Other things were going on, and there seems to be a noticeable uh, common factor here, and that is, in all these cases, it's really, really bad dehydration. Uh, Basically, I overheat. Here's the deal. I train pretty hard for six days a week, And on Tuesdays, I do twice. I have a Miss Manners class that I go to on Tuesday evenings. Those of you that know about that, it's not Miss Manners. It's a little rougher than that. Um, And I'm not real good about drinking water. I have grown up in the day of sports where you were denied water, not given water. Uh, My wife has been telling me for years I don't drink enough water. She's also been telling me that I was born in the wrong time period in history. Something about Sparta and things like that. I don't know what she's talking about. Uh, Then you add into the dehydration mix sickness, lack of sleep, uh, stressful times in ministry, uh, and then, you know, a pretty laid-back personality. And then finally, which I hate to admit, uh, getting older. Gosh, that's just tough for me. And so while preaching, the adrenaline, and all preachers, the adrenaline, Piper used to talk about this when he got into his 40s, things started changing in his body. I didn't believe him. Till now. Uh, so the adrenaline gets dumped into an engine that has no coolant or has no oil, and basically I overheat. And so I am constantly now having to learn to drink. I had two bags of fluid put in me last Sunday. It didn't do anything. It just kind of got me just basically up. Um, but here's the deal. I mean, that's fine. I just need to tell you some of you have been asking, emailing, talking, so I want to make sure I communicated that. The other thing is There's my response to it all, and that's something the Lord's trying to show me, my response to what happens and has happened. Uh, And he's making me face it. And so I want to be honest with you. Here it is. Uh, It's very traumatic for me to admit to myself and to admit to you that I'm not Iron Man. Some of you laugh, but that is very hard for me to do. It really is. Experiencing it is even worse. Um, So the gospel has to go there for me. It has to go to that place, just like it has to go to those places for you. And so this passage that we're going to look at today speaks to my condition, and it speaks to yours. Please stand for the hearing of God's word. And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart but his stomach and is expelled? Thus he declared all food foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is not what defiles him. For, from, for, sorry. for from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, 
sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks. Y'all be, please be seated. So, Lord, we thank you that you hear our cries to you. You entreat us to pour out our hearts to you. Uh, we ask that now you would speak and that you would speak personally and you would speak powerfully, that you would grant light to our hearts. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, look at Mark 7, 1 through 13. If you have your Bibles, those of you in your bulletins, just you're going to have to trust me on this. Uh, it was about the obsession in all of us. And Jesus summarizes it in verse 9. And that is to establish a righteousness of our own. Okay? Now, there were two angles to this obsession with establishing a righteousness of our own. And in 1 through 13, basically 2 through 7 highlighted the obsession with trying to get clean on our own. And then in 8 through 13, it highlighted trying to be righteous on our own. Okay? Now, the question in 14 through 23 is this. Why can't we shake the deep sense of uncleanliness and need for righteousness? Why can't we shake that? If there's this obsession within us to be clean or to get rid of our uncleanliness and this obsession to, I need righteousness, why can't we shake that deep sense and pull and power of that in your life? Why? That's an incredible question. Where does this deep sense of uncleanliness and this deep sense of needing to be righteous come from? Have you ever asked that? How does it get there? Well, the plan today is to answer that question from this text. Because that is the question in the text. And the question, what we're going to see, is going to be like, oh, the fire that produces all the smoke in your life personally and in your new relationships. Whatever we're going to discover, it's the root of all personal, relational, and societal ills and misery and pain and trauma. So it's a big deal. Then we're going to feel deeply because every generation tries to solve the problem. Every generation tries to fix it. And we're going to look at the number one solution that every generation tries to apply to it, but it fails. And we're going to look at the failure because we need to see it and we need to recognize it. Because as, as Packer says, if you, if you start applying the solution and it doesn't work, it can lead to dis- fractures in your life, breakdown in your life, okay? And then finally, we're going to trust in the only one who can deal with the deep issue. The only one. We're going to trust him in a new way who can deal with the real problem, okay? All right, so what's the deepest stain? What's the deepest problem? What's wrong with the world today? Now, I got to confess, what I did is I actually Googled that. You know, I wrote on the Google, I said, what's wrong with the world today? And you know what happened? All these websites showed up. It was incredible. Literally, what's wrong with the world websites? The first thing I saw was a flight of the Concord song. I was really wanting to listen to that, but I did not have time on Friday at Starbucks because I wanted to, their title of their song was, what's wrong with the world today? I bet it's outstanding. 
I wanted to see it. I couldn't. Then the second thing that caught my eye was this little weird three minute and 20 second blip on what's wrong with the world today through some sort of animated person, creature thing. And I thought I was tempted. No, I better not. You never know. Right. And then I must confess what I did go with the safe route and just hit the Yahoo website where they try to put forward some answers to what's wrong with the world today. And here were their answers. Some of them. I'm just giving you some of them. Here's the first. Why do people keep making more mouths to feed when they can't feed their own? It seems to me if we were concerned with our future, we would force people with crappy life choices to get spayed and neutered. Oh. Has the American dream always just been a dream? Is our only hope to cut off the heads of state that are corrupt? If so, would there be even one left? What happens? What happened to the good old days? I'll tell you, people nowadays think they're better than everyone else. End quote. What's wrong with the world today? If you were in Jesus' day and you were a respectable Roman, you know what you would say? Barbaric behavior. Barbarism. Everything outside the realm of Roman rule is what's wrong with the world today. Everything outside Pax Romana, right? Roman peace is what's wrong with the world today. And it fueled world conquest. Everything that's outside the Roman view of life and the way to have people class systems and Roman civilization, that's what's wrong with the world today. If you're a religious person in Jesus' day, you would say, breaking covenant with God. Breaking God's covenant, breaking God's laws. Bad behavior, but with a religious twist to it. Very similar to the first one. Uh, If you were an irreligious person, you might have said nothing. Because people are basically good. You might have said, if push, you say, you really want to know what I think is wrong with the world today? Anyone that tries to impose some sort of value or moral system on us. Anything that gets in the way of freedom and self-expression, that's what's wrong with the world today. Well, Jesus is in this world, in this time period, addressing these views of what's wrong with the world today. And you know what he says? Verse 14 and 15. Here's how he starts it, though. Hear me, all of you, and understand. First of all, here's what you need to understand. What Jesus is saying right there is, is a big deal. Jesus is taking the phrase of God in the Old Testament when he gave the law at Mount Sinai and using the same phraseology and saying it to himself right now. The religious leaders in those days would have not missed that. So he is saying, this is cosmic authoritative teaching. Teaching that touches ultimate reality. Hear me, all of you, and understand there's nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. That was hard to understand, possibly. So in 18 through 20, he he writes a commentary on it. He elaborates on it. He says, do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him since it enters not his heart, but his stomach and is expelled? You know what that literal translation is? Look at your footnote. You should have a footnote. If you have a Bible, look at your footnote, go down to the bottom. Literal translation means, and goes out into the latrine. Okay? I think that's, well, you'll see. 
What comes out of a person is what defiles them. So this is a pretty graphic image of what Jesus says. He listens, Romans, moralists, respectable citizens, and he says, you know, it's a really simple answer to what's wrong with the world today. If you want to know the answer, just look in your toilet. In other words, what he's saying is that the problem is not stop looking for the answer to an outside-in problem. It's an inside-out problem. The problem isn't what comes at us. The problem isn't people that come at us and tough situations and circumstances and conditions that come at us. That's not the problem. He's saying the problem is an internal corruption, a deep stain within that expels all kinds of contamination, all kinds of corruption, all kinds of defilement. And then he goes on and gives us a list of what does get expelled and what's found in the heart in verses 21 through 23. Do you see that list? So what Jesus is saying here is absolutely shocking. It shocks the respectable Roman. It shocks the religious person and it shocks the irreligious person and it shocks all of us today with modern ears and modern eyes. It shocks all of us. Why? Because we all live. We live our lives like it's an outside-in problem. I told this to the uh, Hillsboro group on Thursday. Uh, I used to think I was a pretty good person until I got married. <laughs> I did. I mean, I thought I was a great person. I thought, and then I got married and I started seeing all this um, uncomfortable stuff about myself. I could see that I could be argumentative. I could see that I could, you know, seek to be combative and win arguments. I started seeing that. I could get defensive and I could get angry. I couldn't believe this. And I started seeing that I actually can try to control my world and try to control my life. And I actually started seeing that I I can be selfish. And I actually thought that I could walk around the house and think that I'm better than everybody and that my ways are better. And then lastly, I began to think, um, gosh, I actually began to see it's very hard for me to admit that I'm wrong. So what did I do with this newfound self-awareness, this glorious light that went and showed me what I'm like? What did I do with it? Did I confess and repent? Did I go, the gospel needs to go in this place? Did I mature in the gospel? Of course not. I blame Nancy. You make me angry. You make me a selfish person. You make me irritable. You know, you bring out why it's hard for me to admit that I'm wrong. When marriages blow up, spouses blame each other. When stress overruns us with worry and anxiety, we blame the situation. When we talk bad about someone, we blame the person we're talking bad about. Or we blame, I'm just having a bad day and need to vent. Nobody makes us angry. Anger comes from your heart. 
Nobody makes you worried and stressed and fearful and and full of anxiety. It comes from your heart. Nobody makes you talk bad about somebody else. It comes from your heart. It's pretty famous now when it happened in the 1800s. It was a shock. You probably have heard it. Uh, The Times, an English um, paper, sent out to all these famous authors in that area saying, gosh, can you write some editorials? Can y'all big thinkers write and tell us what you think is wrong with the world? We really want some answers. And so that G.K. Chesterton saw this and he wrote back a note and sent it back to the paper. And this is what it said. Dear sir, I am. Sincerely, G.K. Chesterton. What's wrong with the world? We are what's wrong with the world. We are the problem. The Bible calls it sin. Sin entered the world a long time ago through one historical man. I'm thinking that next week what I'm probably going to do is address that event, that one historical man event and the implications of it for us today. Because I think it's kind of a lost doctrine. Um, But we'll see. I don't know. I've got Presbytery up at Oklahoma. I've got to drive six hours. Slim and I and Shaner and a bunch of other. We had to drive six hours on Friday and Saturday. So I don't know what we'll end up doing. But something will happen here on Sunday. You can guarantee that that will happen. But for now, what I want you to notice, which is interesting about Jesus, do you notice that he assumes the sin event, this ancient sin event, he assumes is present? You see that? Look what he does in verse 20 through 21. What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come. Boom, 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 boom. Jesus assumes in this passage for all people everywhere, the presence of the past. One past event impacting everyone's presence. He assumes the presence of original sin presently in you and me. Alexander Solzhenitsyn said, The line between good and evil passes not through states, nor between classes, nor between political parties either, but right through every human heart. And through all human hearts. Lord David Cecil said after the Holocaust, the jargon of the philosophy of progress taught us to think that the savage and primitive state of man is behind us, but barbarianism is not behind us. It's within us. What's the problem with the world? What's the problem with you and me? A deep, deep stain within called original sin. So every generation, though, tries to deal with this deep stain within called original sin, even though they might not call it that and might not recognize that that's the problem. But each generation tries to handle it. Most folks in generations just try to forget about it and ignore it and pretend it or stuff it or hide it or do something with it because it's just too overwhelming. Other brave souls, though, in every generation try to roll up their sleeve and tackle it. Like those dear folks at that journal or that paper that were writing Gosh, can anyone tell us what's wrong with the world today, right? Some people do. 
What I'd like for you to do is this. There is, there is a number one solution that every generation tries to solve this problem with. Now, the relig- there's a religious solution. And the religious solution was being dealt with in verses 1 through 13. That was a religious solution. Uh, Tim Keller summarizes the religious solution this way. He says, if I stay away from dirty movies and profane activities and bad people, if I pray and read my Bible, if I try really hard to be good, then God will see that I'm worthy and come in and heal my heart. But religion doesn't get rid of the self-justification. Religion doesn't get rid of the radical self-centeredness. Religion doesn't get rid of the self-absorption at all. It doesn't strengthen and change the heart at all. Past and present solutions that are pretty popular that have been offered are what? I mean, you can think of some. What's the big one today? We're in a town of it. Education. Education's the answer. Others have said uh, political change. I mean, we go through this every four years, don't we? Every four years. The, this is the answer. And then, then those that are not on the winning team, we're all doomed. The world's over, right? Everything is put in for political change or some dynamic leader, charismatic leader. That's another answer. Uh, capitalism's been an answer. Socialism's been an answer. Various progressive movements or progress movements, right? Uh, Some of the popular culture solutions have been this. Be pretty. Be thin. Be fit. Be successful. Be loaded with lots of money. Right? Be an achiever. Be a hard worker. Do whatever you want. What's wrong with all these solutions, though? What's the fatal flaw? Why do these solutions not work? They're outside in solutions. But the problem is inside out. For from within, out of the heart of man, comes the whole list. These things come from within. They defile a person. We need an inside-out solution. Outside-in solutions will never work. There's only one inside-out solution. There's only one. Uh, Remember, place is a big deal for Mark, right? We got that. Remember, wilderness was used four times in... Four verses, I think it was. A big deal. But place, uh, in verse 17, the place changes. Did you notice that? We saw this last week, those of you who were here. And when he entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. So he's moving from a public place to a private place. He's moving from an outside place to an inside place. He's moving from the streets to the home. And every time that happens in Mark, when you go from outside to inside, street to home, Jesus is about ready to reveal himself. Jesus shows up in a personal and a powerful way every time in Mark when that happens. Now, I want you to think about that, file that away, because that's about ready to happen, verse 17, right? 
Now I want you to add this. Mark doesn't talk a lot in his gospel, does he? Do you notice that? You know, stuff happens and he's not coming alongside the reader and say, hey man, did you get that? Here, let me help you out. He doesn't make editorial comments. He's not making interpretive remarks to try to keep you caught up. Man, he's into the action. He's into recording and just getting what Jesus is doing because Mark is not about, he's the only gospel writer that's not here whose goal isn't to tell you what's going on. His goal is to show you, to show what Jesus is doing. So if Mark does talk, it's a big deal. Verse 18, and he said to them, then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him since it enters not his heart but his stomach and is expelled? You ready? Here it is. It's in parentheses because it's editorial. Thus he declared all foods clean. What? How could Jesus do this? This is not um, reinforcement of some universal truth that everyone knew about, but a certain group of religious people started to suppress that truth, and he basically is coming up to them and saying, look, fools, all foods are clean. This is also not the removal of the Old Testament purity laws, as if he's just casting them aside and saying, listen, I'm changing the rules. I'm abolishing what was once true. Those Old Testament purity laws about food, We're just going to change the rules because listen to me, he says, right? Hear me, O Israel. I'm the second Moses, the second lawgiver. How could Jesus declare something unclean, clean? You know what the answer is? The same way that he could walk up to a storm and say, stop. The same way he can walk up to an unclean leper and say, be clean. Same way he can go up to a a woman who's been bleeding for 12 years and in every angle you look at it completely unclean and say, be clean. The same way he can go up to a demoniac that's raging and roaring with unclean spirits inside and out so much so that his personal spirit and personality is completely dominated and ruled and he can walk up to this unclean demoniac and say clean same way he can walk up to a lifeless unclean little girl and raise her from the dead and say clean he does so by the word of his power And where does that power come from? The intent of the Old Testament purity laws for food was this, to prepare the way for true cleanliness. The Old Testament purity laws and some of the laws that we kind of get run over by in Leviticus and other places are like, oh, what? But we read these things and it's pretty interesting. But these Old Testament purity laws for food were specifically to prepare the way for a coming cleanliness, for a coming clean one. 
who's completely clean. So true cleanliness has arrived. That's why they're declared clean. True cleanliness has showed up in history. And true cleanliness has walked around and he has cleansed the unclean. But I want you to notice that he does so when he cleanses the unclean. Every time Jesus cleanses someone, all these people that we've already looked at in Mark, do you know what happens? There's a great cost to himself. Something happens to him. Do you remember when the hemorrhaging woman touched him? What was said about him? Do you remember? Power went out from him. He was decreased in some way. He was exhausted. I can't even figure the right word I want to say. He decreased in some way. That happened, right? And if you look at all the others, something happens to him at cost to him in order to give cleanliness to those he cleans. Now, I want you to look at what's happening here. Great cost to himself. We have the spotless. We have the clean. We have the holy. We have the pure. We have the perfect. We have the righteous one. The son of God becomes sin on the cross. Look at your list again at 21 through 22. Here's what is happening. Jesus became evil thoughts on the cross to cleanse you. Jesus became sexual immorality on the cross to cleanse you. Jesus became murder and pride and theft and adultery and lying and foolishness and covetousness to cleanse us. He became sin, great cost to himself, on the cross, to take every last drop of a stained, corrupt, interior, internal corruption and put it on himself. Now, he's not just taking the bad. We know the rest of the story, cleansing also means there needs to be something positive happening to the unclean. It's not just taking a debt away, taking the stain away, but holiness needs to be given. Purity needs to be given. Blamelessness needs to be given. Free from accusation needs to be given. Righteousness and godliness needs to be given. And so the Son of God gives His own. God justifies the ungodly. God cleanses the unclean. Jesus' cleansing alone is an inside-out solution and the only solution to the deep stain within called original sin. All right, Martin Luther had a good friend named George Spalatin. George was a pastor, and he committed a very scandalous sin. Uh, the sin was scandalous and was for everybody, for pastors in the area, for the churches in that area, and those folks responded a certain way to him. Uh, but Luther, what was Luther going to do? What was he going to say to him? Here's what he said. Therefore, my faithful request and admonition is that you join our company and associate with us. who are real, great, and hard-boiled sinners. You must by no means make Christ seem paltry and trifling to us as though he could only be 
a helper only when we want to be rid of some imaginary, nominal, and childish sins. No, no. That would not be good for us. He must rather be a savior and a redeemer from real, great, grievous, and damnable transgressions and iniquities. Yea, from the very greatest and the most shocking sins. To be brief, from all sins added together in a grand total. End quote. Okay, here's the application. It's time for us to be real sinners. Not imaginary ones. Not, I just made some mistakes, bad mistakes today. Not, you know, I just had a bad day today. Not that I just make bad choices. It's time to face the deep, stain within called original sin. It's time to be a real sinner. And for those of us that are Christians, you need to hear this too. That stain does not go away. It will be with you for the rest of your life. If you play imaginary games with it, J.I. Packer's words will come back as a rescue to you. It will drive you insane. Because it's not imaginary. It's real. And it's within. It's time to be deeply stained within. Evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, pride, foolishness. It's all there in your heart. And then when you're able and it's time to face it and own up to it, then, now, now let's go to Jesus and get cleansed. Now let's say, oh Jesus, touch this area. Touch that deep stain within. Take it all from me. I trust you to do that. I trust you to cleanse me. I'm not going to try to cleanse myself. I'm going to trust you to give me righteousness. I'm not going to try to be righteousness on my own. You do it. And you know what happens in that dynamic of doing that in new areas and in brighter areas and bigger areas of your life? Marriage, children, workplace, conflicts, whatever. What happens is you start changing from the inside out. Amen.